0: Hi, I'm Jen. And I'm Jen. Welcome to Marginalia Pod. where We treat reading as a sacred practice and find meaning and connections through our favourite book.
1: I would like to begin by acknowledging the Guringai and Darug people, traditional custodians of the land where I'm recording today, and pay my respects to their elders past and present.
0: I'd also like to acknowledge Tungata Finnawa of Tufanganui Atara, where I'm recording today.
1: I'm envious that you've got your tea. My coffee is coming. The disembodied hand is bringing it.
0: Oh, I love the disembodied hand. My favorite.
1: Mine too, especially bearing coffee.
0: Yeah, no, that's what you want. Like he knows his place <laughs> <laughs> as your lovely husband. He's a support person. He's great. Um, I'm having lemon and ginger tea, which is lovely.
1: Well, that sounds good. So, what sparked joy for you this week?
0: well um we're officially official on the house so that means i have bought a house yay Yay. i need the air horn
1: noise (laughs) and cannons firing confetti i'm so excited for you
0: so we went unconditional on thursday got all the everything done all the admin you know all the builders reports valuers insurance banks everything all of that all aligned so yeah it's now paid the deposit and so it's official But we won't actually get it until November, so yeah, it's a long wait, but it's going to be so nice.
1: Ours was a 42-day settlement, and I just remember it feels like the longest month in a bit of your life where you're like, I own a house, but it's not actually yet my house.
0: Traditionally it's six weeks, but the way we negotiated with the owners was that they could have until the 22nd of November, so that's what, how many weeks? 10 weeks. From Tuesday.
1: That's really good. It's a long mm. time. It gives you time to like pack and plan and let your landlord know and stuff. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's the disembodied hand. The disembodied hand. Thank you, disembodied hand. <laughs>
0: Well, what sparked joy for you this week? Today
1: we went to a family brunch and it was really nice. So my brother-in-law's girlfriend turned up and I haven't seen her in months. And like, it was just really great to actually get to talk to her after several months of not seeing her. And my kids were both amazingly brilliant and did so well. And I made a, so it was my, it was like all three of the boys in the family have their birthday at this time of year. So it was like the birthday brunch for my husband his brother and their dad so i made a cake and i asked my brother-in-law what he wanted and he said i want something that has no fruit in it nothing healthy and maybe caramel and vanilla and so i found a recipe for a salted caramel vanilla cheesecake and it's probably the best cake i've made all year it's so good it was so good so we all had cheesecake and i managed to give him something completely decadent it was just a really good day so I'm very like peopled out but like so happy that I went and spent the time. We ended up being there for like 4 hours too, which is wow, a huge long of time. time. Yeah. yeah. So. so I will have to get that recipe to you. If I don't know if I'll be able to make it when I'm there cuz it's involved, but it was
0: such a good cake. Yum. Okay. This week we're reading chapters 40 to 43 through the theme of opportunity. Did you have a story for us?
1: I sure do. So, I've been pretty candid about growing up blue collar. Like we definitely had some lean years. So it's not surprising that I grew up really steeped in this desperate brew of wanting things and not being able to have them. And as Mm -hmm. a kid, like that translated to stuff. Like I wanted, like Marcus and About a Boy, I wanted to fit in, I wanted to be invisible, I wanted to wear the right clothes and look a certain way because I thought that was how I would just be accepted and loved. But as I got older, I started to recognize that not having stuff was actually like a symptom of not having opportunities. We just didn't have the opportunity to have things. So I didn't bring any of my problems to my mom. After I got to about eight or nine, I started to really realize like she had a lot of little kids around. People were always sick. Something was happening with her mom who was in an aged care facility. Or my dad had done something that she was worried about or he'd gotten injured and he was states away working. There was just always Mm -hmm. something happening. I felt guilty confiding in her. I knew things I started to extrapolate based on lack of opportunity. So because we couldn't afford tennis shoes that would last longer than two months, I thought for sure there's no way that we could afford to hire an instrument for me to join the school band. So I didn't even ask. Mm. I knew that I had to go to university to get a job so I could have money to live. Like this was the the thing that we were all told was that we would get this ticket out. If we went and got an education, we would get a good paying job and we could be middle class. Like this was the thing that we were all told as kids. There was no other option but that path. There was no other opportunity that felt viable. I had friends who had stayed in our small town and they were grinding themselves down to stumps working at the mill. They were luminescent in high school and they were like ghosts of people after two years. And I didn't want that, but it didn't feel like I had a choice. I had to go and go to university. So I, I did. And I did really badly. But by the time I finally figured out that I needed to not do school, I was working in a job I loved. And I was living an hour and a half away from my family. And I just really liked where I lived. And so I just quit university and worked for a while. And that helped so much. Like I got really good at my job. I loved my job. I had the opportunity to really connect with people. I didn't feel spread so thin. And so when I met Simon, I was free to walk away. I didn't have anything really tying me to that life except for my job. And I felt like joining his life was the best opportunity that I could ever have. Like I just really wanted to be with him and there was nothing really tying me to where I was. Mm. But that lack of opportunity that I grew up with has been like the biggest thing I've carried. And and it's really informed my my own parenting in a way that I, I really had to reconcile with. The way that I cope with it is I provide the opportunity that I didn't get to my kids. And I think what it really came down to for me was I wanted to be able to say yes to experiences and I wanted to be able to mitigate shame. So not having clothes that fit or looked nice or were clean or comfortable was something I was always aware of. So my kids are always wearing clothes that fit. They look nice. They're clean. They're comfortable. I wanted my kids to be able to do stuff. I want to say yes to clarinet lessons and soccer practice. And I want to be able to say, hey, let's go to Canberra as a, as a sneaky (laughs) road trip and go to Questacon. Shh, Don't tell them, but I'm planning this trip for them. Cute. When they struggle with things and they need things like speech therapy, I can give them that. That's an opportunity they get because they have that. Even though they have the setback, I'm providing them with a path forward. And the only way I can really do this is that we're financially comfortable. And in some ways it feels like I've succeeded in like healing that part of myself, that that wanting... But I know it's not really true. I'm always going to struggle with the tension of having things. I'm extraordinarily Mm. privileged and I'm willing to do the work, but I've also been given a lot of hands up here. My friend Rachel once said about someone she knew that they have a wide lap and things fall into them. And that's become me in later years. And I just, I want to make sure that even as things fall into my lap, I'm still taking the opportunity that I have to protect the vulnerable because they also deserve every opportunity and vulnerable people deserve to be protected. So that's kind of where I've landed on it.
0: Hmm. It's interesting how opportunity seems to beget opportunity, right? And the better off you are, the more chances you get. Mm-hmm. I think I saw a thing, it might have been on Tumblr, where they described privilege as like a fun fair, right? So if you are middle class, you might get one shot at a target, and then if you fail, that you just have to move on. If you're wealthy, you can afford multiple shots and you can keep going and going and going. Yeah. But poor people aren't even getting shots, they're the ones working the carnival. So it's Yeah, like, it was really... about
1: entrepreneurship, right?
0: That's right. Yeah, yeah. Starting a business and how people- because, you know, rich people seem to have so many side hustles and so many businesses, but it's because they, they can afford to fail. Yeah. And when you don't have those privilege, you can't take those risks. You can't like quit your job or put anything into a business because mm-hmm. that's everything you have if you have anything at all, right?
1: Exactly, right. I remember that feeling of like I have to get out of my small town because if I don't, then I will not be able to work in a way that will give me meaningful financial security, which was like always the goal. <laughs> it just never felt like something that was possible or Attainable unless I left and went to uni.
0: And the shame thing is interesting as well because, in a way, it's a thing that we're supposed to do on the side. Like, you can only talk about an opportunity, you can only talk about that when you're successful. Uh It's not something you can talk about in the process for some reason. Like, yeah. And speaking about money or anything like that is so, you know, very frowned upon, very gauche. You can't talk about that either. Oh, yeah. So it's this very weird space where everyone is like, you know, we've, I've got all this stuff, but it's a mystery how I got it because we're not talking about that. It's like not transparent at all.
1: Oh, yeah. Talk about it. I think it's important, and that's one of the things I have to say a lot. And I do say this a lot: is I don't work, but I'm able to because my husband can work. Like he he does work, and he makes enough for both of us. Like we're not scrimping and saving. We're not hiding from it. It's just a fact. And I think that kind of taking ownership of the privilege that we do have it can feel like bragging, but I think it also is helpful to acknowledge that, like, yeah, I do have these opportunities that other people don't have. Or Mm. you know I did have these setbacks that other people don't have
0: yeah and I mean people feel the need to pretend as well and that's how that you end up in horrific credit card debt and things like that because you're trying yeah. to present this way of living that you're not actually it's not within your means right because of all this associated meaning that we put towards it
1: the shame things i think is really weird is that now that i'm a bit older and i can just buy clothes when i need them a few weeks ago i bought a new jumper and i was snipping the tag and i snipped a little bit of it even maybe five years ago i would have just immediately been like i'll just put that in my cupboard and wear it at home only but i was like well that's silly it's a really nice jumper i'll just mend it and it'll be like a cute thing i did but like the shame of having clothes that were not perfect would have stopped me from wearing it out Mm. even though i paid for it and it's a nice jumper (laughs) It's just funny that like you're able to kind of get past these things, but this still takes time. Adam Parrish. Yes, yeah. There's a reason why Adam is the hardest character for me to deal with. I very much was Adam when
0: I was younger. Mm. Well look how far you've come in dealing with that. It's amazing.
1: <laughs> yes. Now I'm slightly more Gansy-esque, but I have awareness, which is good.
0: He'll get there. It's youth, <laughs> right? So speaking of, I'll do our chapter mm. summaries. Um so this section. Anna is wallowing in her own misery, convinced everyone hates her and that life is ruined. She finally confronts Rashmi and realizes that no one, except maybe homophobic Amanda, actually hates her. She gets to confront Sinclair about his poor choices and he fires back, but Anna takes a hard look at herself and begins to understand that life is not so black and white. Yeah, Anna.
1: (laughs) Oh man, was this a hard section for you? I was just raging.
0: I thought it was really interesting that our our theme is opportunity because I feel like Anna misses so many opportunities. She misses opportunities to talk, she misses opportunities to listen, she misses opportunities to grow. (laughs) yeah, A lot of assumptions that cost her a lot.
1: Yeah, like a solid week and a half of just feeling very sorry for herself at the very least. I actually didn't try to find opportunity. I just listed all the places that she missed opportunities.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I did was like, oh, she uses the opportunity and detention to finally talk to Sinclair. (laughs) We're we're scraping the barrel here. Um, Yeah, definitely a sign of her youth, I think, because it's like as I said in a previous episode, she's got main character energy. She just thinks she everything is about her. Everything that happens is about her. She just assumes that everyone is living their lives somehow thinking about her. And um, yeah, I I think it's interesting that we see her starting to reckon with that a little bit. Like she's starting to realize that. Like on page 339, she says, what's wrong with me? Why haven't I tried to apologize again? Am I incapable of keeping a friend? Like, she's starting to realize, oh, actually, maybe yeah. I am the problem.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's getting... That's where I finally saw the youth. Like, because I think a big part of youth is the ability to grow. Like, wanting mm. to grow. And that's why they say, like, oh, keep a youthful outset. It's, it's, it's really not a youthful outset. It's really, like, an openness to growing. Mm-hmm. And that's something I saw. I thought that she was beginning to grow when she started to realize that she had other choices. She had all opportunities she didn't think she had, but it took her the whole section.
0: Opportunity is fascinating to me because I, I looked up the origin of it. And, you know, it comes from the Latin phrase opportum veniens, which is coming toward a port, which refers to like a favorable wind blowing a ship to port. So if you think of an opportunity as something that good that blew your way. Mm. But I feel like that makes it seem like opportunity is something that just happens to you and that is good in and of itself. I think sometimes to see the good or the benefit of an opportunity, you need foresight. You need to take a risk. An opportunity existing in and of itself is not necessarily a good thing. Yeah, yeah, something about being able to recognize it, right? Yeah. Anna is
1: so closed off to the opportunity she has because mm. she's in so much like mental anguish and she's really in a lot of pain. She's actually really hurting here. Yeah. My frustration is that she's not letting anybody else talk. She has to be the only one saying anything. In that that way, she's denying the opportunity for, like, healing and moving forward and actually clearing the air. But she's not able to see it because she's in so much pain. She can't see that there are opportunities to do the right thing. Like, she could set the record straight to the rest Mm -hmm, of the school by mm -hmm, saying, oh, mm -hmm. no, actually, Amanda's a really gross homophobe. Wait till you hear what she said. She could clear the air with Etienne before she bites his head off. She could tell the head of school exactly what Amanda said, and I have a lot more to say on that. She could tell people that she would never sleep with Dave in a million years because he's disgusting, which I think would be fair and correct. She's just missing so many
0: chances yeah. to like actually say what she could say. She's scared of being an active participant. She likes things to happen to her. Even when, when events are happening, she's always looking for external excuses for why they're happening. She doesn't own yeah. them as, a, as an active participant in her life. So therefore she doesn't speak up about this whole Amanda thing, which I'm like, this is absolutely a missed opportunity. Why are you not telling the head? Holy crap, tell the teacher. Yeah, and she's like, she needs to take control of this narrative. This is like PR 101. Yeah. You are not taking control. You've left the vacuum other people are filling that vacuum and they're saying things that are not true and you've let this happen mm-hmm. that's not great right
1: are we mean girls because we know this instinctively or <laughs> well i just think
0: it's common Media sense training. like Media training, exactly. Yeah. And like, she should have spoken to Dave beforehand. Like, however that fell apart. Like, she has this weird thing in this section where she says, oh, I I was worried that I was with Dave just to make Etienne jealous or whatever it was. What was it? Page 338. I've been worried that I was only with Dave because I was mad at Sinclair. But perhaps, perhaps I was tired of being alone. Okay, I think it's both of those. I think you were absolutely with Dave because you were mad at Sinclair and you wanted to make him jealous. But also, you should just have had a conversation with Dave as well at the end of that.
1: Yeah, instead of just like disappearing and being like yeah Yeah. bye she ghosted him when she lives in the same residence hall as him that is super awkward and really not cool
0: and amanda like writing that note in class (sighs) it's just so so dumb Like infuriatingly juvenile and ridiculous. I don't buy her reason for not telling the hit about what Amanda said either. Like she says on page 320, I refuse to tell her what Amanda said. I hate that word, like being gay is something to be ashamed of. Exactly. So why don't you tell her what the word is?
1: I think the only thing I could think is that it would get back to Meredith and maybe hurt Meredith. But everybody knows that something happened and the people who are near Amanda know that Amanda said that and probably like her friend group doesn't think it's a big deal. From the perspective of an adult, you get that immediately and you squash it. Like she needs to tell the head so the head can be like, that is absolutely unacceptable. And even though there's a month of school left, you're expelled. Yeah, Like just don't let it ride. Don't like pretend you're protecting anybody when what this does in the long term is it lets her continue to make homophobic comments about other people and will hurt other people more. Like Anna's taking it on herself She doesn't want anybody to know what Amanda said, but like, that's not her shame to take on. She needs to actually just
0: take it to an adult. It gives power to the word as well, which it shouldn't have. And by behaving this way, you're actually giving Amanda exactly what she wants. This is like classic bullying. We do not tolerate. And also you can't tell me that this is the first time that Amanda and her little cronies would have said this to Meredith. She's probably heard it before. So yeah,
1: she's a tall girl who's like incredibly muscular and plays sports. She's definitely heard it.
0: It's just not a a reasonable decision from um, Anna here, so sorry Anna, that's silly.
1: Yeah, I definitely think that's a marker her youth that she's taking that shame and taking it on herself. She's not actually doing the right thing about it. She just feels like it's too awful. But when you're young, you don't think that like the adults really know what to do. You feel like you maybe are responsible for the reaction. Maybe you're responsible for it. Maybe it was your fault. Maybe you did invite that. Maybe it's just yours to live with. So I could see why Anna did it, but I was also extremely frustrated because like this is why you tell the teacher.
0: Yeah, and then she misses that opportunity. Like she comes back, her and Isla come back from the head's office and she says on page 321, they shout questions at us as if this is a press conference for shame celebrities I'm like yes this is your chance to tell your side of the story yeah and she just like barrels on through and ignores them i feel like this is like anna 101 she just ignores the things she doesn't want to engage with because fundamentally i just think she's scared she's scared of having emotions she's scared of caring
1: well it hasn't worked out too well for her so far has it Mm. she's had a pretty crappy year
0: it was good in some parts
1: some parts were great Um, the thing I thought was the most youthful was the extremely hyperbolic like my life is ruined my dad who cares what he says my mom's gonna kill me Um, and like then the everyone hates me here's no proof at all like I guess they're all taking Amanda's side and Rashmi and Josh have clearly taken Meredith's side and Sinclair won't even look at me I'm like you just chewed him out you've been blanking all of your friends nobody's talking to you because you're radiating
0: this intensely hostile energy (laughs) and then you go hide away from them and also when yeah. she's like, school has ruined cinema, there's nothing worth living for. I'm like, oh man, I love this. This is peak gen energy.
1: <laughs> so dramatic. I was just like, oh my goodness. <laughs> I've been there. I have been there. My life is ruined. Nothing will ever be the same again. And then seven years later, you're
0: like, what well, was I so upset about that? I think she is scared. That's what I think. You know, this is why she won't really act on her feelings with Sinclair now. Like, She doesn't have the whole story. She's not really interested in getting the whole story and even when he says to her you know I've broken up with Ellie she doesn't really want to act on it and she has that conversation with Meredith where she says you know sometimes I think there are only so many opportunities to get together with someone and we've both screwed up so many times that we've missed our chance like she's looking for these excuses because I genuinely think that for her the dream is safer than the reality. Absolutely. Because she says on page 39 I was too scared to mess with the relationship we might have to deal with what we really did have and she's still scared of that like she's scared to put it to the test because it might not work and that would kill her so she's like i'm just not gonna do it and i'm gonna make up all these dramatic reasons for what is happening instead of just taking the opportunity to see what is actually happening
1: that's such a generous reading i love that i was much meaner about it i just thought she was being a complete walnut i mean she is but she's a scared walnut (laughs) (laughs) i do think that it was nice that she finally figured out that she needed to go and try and talk to meredith again and that whole thing where she's like i if only i'd taken rashmi's advice
0: Yes, yeah. Anna. Why didn't you? <laughs> Rashmi's very smart. She got into Brown, okay? She knows what she's about. On that topic, because Meredith kind of does the same thing Anna does. She sort of just ignores the reality of what is happening because it doesn't suit mm-hmm. her own narrative. She wants to hold on to the dream of Sinclair to do that. She has to ignore that Anna and Etienne are a thing. Yeah. So she's like, even now she admits everyone knew how you felt about each other. She still wasn't allowing herself to believe it
1: but she was able to say it i think meredith is amazing like this is such a hard thing to have to do and we've both had a friend who's kind of like really made things difficult for us and like hard for us to be like okay you're forgiven like that's definitely so i know we've talked about this Mm -hmm. off the pod but there's her generosity and being able to be like no i was wrong too like that is such a huge thing something i really struggle with because once i feel hurt i'm like well okay i'm hurt that's it doors closed, right?
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Meredith is still being vulnerable, and she's even saying, like, I really should have been aware.
0: Yeah, she's incredibly emotionally mature, like, she's talked herself back from this ledge, talked herself back from this hurt, self-soothed, you know, like, acknowledged her own hurt and found her own way through it, and yeah, it's an incredible skill, especially for, what, a 17-year-old, so...
1: Yeah Amazing I wish her all of the hot footballers For all of eternity She should be worshipped like the goddess that she is
0: Hopefully she joins the US women's football team And has an amazing career
1: Yes, she deserves that Okay, I had some spicy hot takes And I want to get your opinion on this Fab
0: Okay, so on page 336
1: Sinclair is trying to tell Anna maybe he, he goes on this whole diatribe and I was just seeing red by the end of it like I was furious by the end of it so he says you say that I'm afraid of being alone and it's true I am and I'm not proud of it but you need to take a good look at yourself Anna because I'm not the only one who suffers this problem I don't agree I don't agree because the people that she was afraid of being alone with were tof who she had met and had like a crush on before she even got there and then dave who was nice to her and at one point in the early in the book she was like do i like dave so there was some attraction there like she was actually attracted to both of these guys i think that it is more accurate to say that anna was creating a boundary with these other boys which is not fair to them but i don't think it was about like not being alone i think she was happy being alone but i don't think she liked the ambiguity And like, there's nothing inherently wrong with creating connections or having crushes on multiple people at once. But I'm just furious with Sinclair because I do not Mm. think that that is correct. What
0: do you think? The way I read her, I think she does like the idea of always being in love with someone or having a crush with someone. I do feel like she fabricated the day of attraction. I feel like that is something that she just decided to do. I don't think it was a a genuine attraction. I think that's something she's like, I need to fill this void so I will have a crush on this boy. So in a way, I can see how Sinclair gets to that kind of thing. But I also think that he is just trying to make himself feel better because yeah. he's done a horrible thing. Like, And he admits oh that he's gosh, done a horrible yes. thing. And so it's easier for him to say that, oh, he's trying to equate what Anna's done on the same level. And it's like, it's just not. It's not the same thing. Thank you. A
1: bit earlier where he says, I realize it's possible that I don't deserve your forgiveness because it's taken me this long to get here, but I don't understand why you're not giving me the chance. You had a year of chances. You've had the entire school
0: year to figure yourself out. Yeah, and I mean, and she told him why she's not giving him a chance because, like, when he comes to her door and she's yelling at him the first time, she's you know he's like, why? He's trying to explain why he went to to Ellie's, and she's like, like you always do. So he's got form. He left her on her birthday, Mm -hmm. all these things. So he can't really be surprised that she's yet again assumed that he's done this thing. I do think it's interesting that he says in that section as well. You know, that this whole fight starts because he says like, no, let's not forget it. I'm sick of, tired of forgetting it, Anna. And she comes back and she talks about all these things. he's done all these ways which he's hurt her oh the impassioned plea yeah and she says what am i supposed to do with that and i think that is the crux of the matter like you can't brush her leg in a darkened cinema and then get in bed with her and like sleep with her and tell her all these things and well sleep in a bed with her i should say and then get
1: distant for a month afterward like she calls him out on everything
0: yeah and then you can't be surprised that she doesn't know how to read your signals that she doesn't trust your signals more to the point
1: yeah it's like he's finally resolved it and he's ready for her to be there but she was like i cannot catch up that quickly
0: it's because they've missed the opportunity to properly communicate
1: yeah that's true like i couldn't believe it because i've always really loved sinclair the character i've always thought like here's a person that i really understand and really relate to because like it's so hard to change when you and then at this i was just like this is a bunch of gaslighting bs like this boy is trying to make himself feel better by throwing the girl that he loves under the bus Hmm. No, no,
0: do not accept. He says, you know, I can't believe you'd think so poorly of me that you would might wait an entire year to kiss you and then in that moment it happened I'd be done with you. Well, you did run away? Like, you haven't given her a reason not to think poorly of you.
1: Every time they've gotten closer together, there's been that weird distance afterwards. So she was just like, oh, great, it's gone all the way. Like, the pendulum has swung all the way the other direction. Hmm. Anna, you're not crazy. He's just really not great. I really want him to grow up and figure this out
0: yeah he's not emotionally mature enough yet like he's still growing yeah yeah
1: <sighs> okay i'm glad my take wasn't that spicy i was just like furious with him no for and
0: the way that he acts so wounded like i can't believe that you think so poorly of me like this is the same as what anna does like she makes everything about her like he's kind of like making this about i suppose it is about him but also her hurt is her hurt that's not for you to relitigate yeah. the fact that she's hurt it's like when anna says to rashmi you know i'm sorry i can't do anything right i'm like oh god don't do that. Don't be like, I can't do anything right when you've hurt someone else. It's not about you. Stop yeah, it. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I like that she realized instantly that she had ditched trash me, just like Ellie ditched trash me, and she was like, oh crap. Like that was her first thought. I think that showed some real growth of character. I was like, hey, you're getting it. We're finally figuring it out. Mm, Something yeah. to be
0: said about that, like, oh,
1: I don't want to be that person.
0: Yeah. Poor Rush me.
1: And part of growing up is realizing that you make mistakes and then you mend them and you get to identify the patterns of behavior that don't work and then you get to change that moving forward and sometimes it's really slow and painful but she's actually doing that work now it's hurting but she's doing it
0: it doesn't have to be all or nothing right like you don't do something and then hide in the bathroom for weeks on end but this is the lesson she needs to learn right you can't just be oh i've done something embarrassing so now i'm just never going to face another person ever again yeah. Life doesn't work that way. We're constantly making terrible decisions and hurting people when we don't intend to, so you need to know yeah. how to navigate those waters.
1: Absolutely. Hmm. Everybody needs a hug. And therapy. Yeah. Etienne needs to just stop talking for five minutes. Um, I think that's all I had on youth. I mean, all of the opportunities, we both agree that she missed a lot of them.
0: Yeah, I suppose someone who does take an opportunity is um, Dave, who uses the opportunity to be a complete a-hole
1: yeah what's with that and there's that bit where Anna goes oh I should have known this is Mike's little lap dog and I'm like well that might be their friendship dynamic but Dave might also be coming from a genuine place of hurt because he really did like Anna and then she like basically took off because he was slobbery and people pee in
0: his shower yeah and she did use him like I'm sorry but she did So absolutely she did yeah, yeah. Very much my mom. She acts so shocked. Like she says, you know, page 325 Dave sits as far away from me as possible, but the way he ignores me is strange and purposeful. Some of the freshmen pester me about it, but I don't know what Dave's problem is, and thinking about him only makes me feel gross inside. You feel gross inside because you know you've wronged this boy, and you do know what his problem is, you just don't want to interrogate it. So
1: there has to be some accountability, and she just isn't taking it. I mean, Dave's not great, but he does deserve better. No,
0: no. Of course, like, I'm not saying that what Dave does is justifiable. It absolutely isn't. Like, he, this is the worst thing. Although, I will say this. It's interesting that that is the worst thing that can happen to you in school. That someone yeah. spreading a rumor like that is so vicious and so horrible. Because when you look at it on paper, it's actually, well, who cares? But Anna's a germaphobe. Yeah. And I thought it was interesting that Rashmi, this was one of my tangential. she says, you know, Dave's a jerk. If I thought you'd sleep with him, we wouldn't be talking to you right now. What? That's kind of a weird thing to say. Yeah, I just thought, like, I I really wanted to unpack this with you because I don't really understand. So you, if you thought that she had slept with Dave, you wouldn't speak to her anymore. Like, why? Why is that a thing.
1: Is it because she would then agree that Anna had used Dave, or is it because she was like, ew, Dave is gross, yuck.
0: Or is it because, oh, I thought you liked Sinclair and you're messing him around, because even though Sinclair does not own you, you're not in a relationship, so it actually doesn't yeah. hurt him. Like, the way he reacts when she, you know, she tells him that she hasn't slept with Dave and he's, like, relieved about it. There's none of your business. I don't know, it's weirdly sex negative, and I'm not into it.
1: It's very, yeah, very much a product of its time, back when we were still talking about what it meant for a teenager's to in young adult novels be having sex with each other Mm. and like I think that was one of the things that made this book really marketable was that Anna didn't sleep with anyone in the book.
0: I just don't know if I personally would be friends with someone who said to me if you slept with that person I wouldn't be friends with you like if I make a bad decision by doing something like that that is not my friends should love me regardless they can tell me that they don't agree with my behavior but you don't cut me out of your life. We've all had friends who've had boyfriends or partners that we did not like you don't just cut them out of your life. (laughs)
1: Yeah, for sure. It, it is a weird thing. And I every time I read it, I kind of go, oh, Rashmi's not that great. Like, there's always that moment where I'm like, oh, this isn't a great thing for her to say. Mm. But I don't know if that's one of those, like, quippy, sarcastic not genuine things like oh you know like haha I'm joking around or if yeah it's like, I really wouldn't ever talk to you again if you had slept with this boy because ultimately it is Anna's hoo-ha and she can put it wherever she wants to as long as everybody involved is consenting
0: yeah exactly it's like it's just no one's business school is so weird it is weird and I can see why Anna was very grossed oh. out
1: by that rumor because she is a germaphobe so it's like even worse that somebody would think that she did that
0: <laughs> yeah I mean he absolutely weaponizes that against her right so
1: slut-shaming 101 right you get dumped because you're gross and weird so you make the other person grosser weirder and crazier yeah every time a guy says that his ex is crazy i'm just like oh you're one of those it's
0: an absolute red flag when someone says that especially unprovoked when they're like oh yeah my ex was crazy i'm like okay good day sir
1: thank you do not pass go do not collect anyone singles phone number I don't yeah. care how actually crazy they were, just don't say it. I don't want anybody buying into that idea that a person who has emotions and is justifiably hurt over the breakdown of a relationship is somehow mentally unstable. Not that there's anything morally wrong to being mentally unstable. but
0: hmm. Speaking of morally wrong, can I just say that this teacher on page 334 saying to Anna, did <laughs> any of these morons hurt you, is profoundly unprofessional. Like You can't go <laughs> calling your students morons. But they are morons, he's not wrong. I just thought that was like, wow, okay, this seems inappropriate for a teacher, but sure. (laughs) it's like with
1: it where was the other one that I really loved this made me laugh so much page 325 I tell the annoying classmates to shove it and my name Guillotine gets mad at me not because I told them to shove it because I didn't say it in French I actually laughed out loud at that I was like I mean fair enough we I think in Spanish three or four we were meant to speak in Spanish the whole time and that's when I dropped out because I did not want to do that but like we could just talk the whole period as long as we spoke (laughs) in Spanish so I can see that being like yeah say just say it in French and you can say whatever you want I don't even care you just have to do the work That's how you learn absolutely Um, I I love that we get these like uh, and here's the moral of the story the English teacher will tell us now what we need to take from this text but I thought it was really beautiful and I love that Rashmi was like neon lights and pay attention to this bit (laughs)
0: staring at it. i forgot to mention it last week but there's also a section where they were talking about novels and the value of novels and i'm like is this supposed to be meta are we supposed to be reading this as like this is the value of literature it's quite an like a little self-referential nod in the text of being like this is what we're doing everyone
1: i love that i will take that i I think that this book is full of meta text absolutely it wants us to think about what we're reading and and the life that we're leading and it wants us to think about other perspectives and i think that's part of why anna's viewpoint is so narrow in some ways Mm. because it really is almost suffocatingly telescopic like it's so focused in on her and her experience and her first person present tense life that everyone else's experiences have to wait until she's ready to accept them Mm. And so having the like English teacher sort of bring the mallet of truthiness and hammer it into us, it's like, oh, yes, this is what this is actually about. It's not just this teenager who's just whinging about being sent to Paris.
0: Which is very true to like a teenage experience as well, right? Because as we've discussed previously, mm. you are very self-focused. You are quite insular in how you view the world. So you have to you have to actively open yourself up to other experiences in order to grow. And that's what we see yeah. Anna doing throughout this, this story, is that she is, even when she arrives at Paris, you know, it's a big deal for her to even leave her room.
1: But she does it. I mean, she goes with people, and I think that's okay. I feel like you can't do everything by yourself, and nor should you. So I love that she's like, okay, he's gonna take me out and we'll go and see some things, and I will then be okay with doing this myself. I'll get my friends to take me to the movies so that I can then write the script to know how to do it. Sometimes that's yeah. the way you can get through it. That's
0: kind of what Kath does in Fangirl as well, right? Like, she needs Regan yeah. to take her out to show her, to make it okay, so that she can do the thing.
1: Yeah. It's just Kath was way more, obviously, neurotic than, and more than self-aware
0: Anna. about that and very
1: much more self-aware about it yeah she knew all of her faults and flaws I think because she had Ren her whole life who was always like well this is what you're like
0: yeah an active mirror right like that's always there
1: yeah yeah. well there was a bit of active mirroring in, in this wasn't there where she said that thing in when they were in detention there was a beautiful line I thought his hope flashing on his face being a mirror of her own I just love that
0: mm. yeah 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 I give a small snort of laughter and his head jerks up. My own hope flashes at me, mirrored in his expression.
1: Yeah. It's just so sad. She wants so badly to be resolved, be past this, but she just can't actually, she doesn't want to do the work to get through it. She just wants it to be, she wants to be on the other side of it, I think.
0: Yeah, because she's scared. She's just scared. I think she's quite a fearful person.
1: How do you navigate this if you've never navigated it before? I think that ties into her fear, right? Not knowing how to do something, how to make these repairs in a relationship that is valuable enough for you to keep. She's so much more willing to just never talk to Meredith again
0: and assume that Rashmi and Josh hated her and like that Sinclair hated her. Mm, and I think that's, you've just triggered a memory. Like On page 331 she says, how many times can your our emotions be tied to someone else's, be pulled and stretched and twisted before they snap, before they can never be mended again? She is very concerned about this loss of relationship, and this idea that you can push something so far that you can never go back. Like she says to Meredith, you know, we missed the opportunity. That like She's very fixated on this idea, but I think it is so unhelpful to give someone that much power over you, this idea that someone else can snap yeah. your emotions. like You are in control of your own emotions. Someone else should not have that power over you, but that's youth, right?
1: Or at the very least, you feel the emotions you feel, but you're still responsible for your own behavior. Yeah, exactly. As a person who consistently her whole life has had big emotions. I often don't feel in control of my emotions and really struggle with any sort of feeling of like despair or joy sometimes like they could just completely swamp me. But putting it on other people is the problem, not feeling mm. the emotion. It's making it someone else's responsibility that you just can't do. You have to learn to cope with those things. Yeah,
0: online. I think making anyone else responsible for how you feel about yourself is always dangerous territory, but that is something I think you know, it's an ongoing process. It's something that I've learned through copious amounts of therapy. Yeah. I think it's very few people who already have that inbaked in them.
1: Yeah. It's a learned skill and one that we don't teach people very often. No.
0: It's not
1: something our society like prioritizes.
0: I do genuinely think we externalize our feelings too much as a society. I think people are just like, it's okay to expect other people to fix how you feel. And it's really, really not. Like you should not be putting that on other people. Obviously you have people that you love and you expect to, you know, love you and do all these things for you, but they're yeah. not fundamentally responsible for how you feel.
1: Yeah. But we can't swing too far in the other direction, right? Because then you get, like, people who just don't know how to have emotions or feel them or display them in a healthy way at all, and you get, like, no, no, it, no. Like, yeah, the male of problem where the only acceptable expression of emotion is rage. There's none of that, like, I just want to be sad about something, so I have to get mad about it instead. Like, that's a, a problem that comes from not being allowed to feel the full spectrum of yeah and be supported
0: you absolutely should feel all your feelings i definitely agree with that i don't think not making other people responsible or externalizing them that's not what i mean like express your emotions just don't expect other people to fix them yeah for sure if you give people that power if you give people the power to make you feel a certain way about yourself then they can make you feel bad And if you learn how to fix that inside yourself then other people can't make you feel bad about yourself like that is that's a quite a a strong thing to have i think to have that in your pocket
1: i'm trying to think of the relationship i would i think that with my kids like i don't take what they say personally but i definitely take their emotions seriously Mm. i just wonder if the inability to express properly people really take it on face value maybe without really digging down to understand
0: and i think that comes from people not having done the work though right i feel very in control of my own emotions i never used to like i was very out of control all my life until about you know three years ago when i did a lot of very intensive therapy and now i feel in control of my emotions in a way that i never have and when people are upset at me or angry at me these are things i would have internalized that would have crushed me because my self-worth was tied to other people's opinions of me but now it no longer is so if you carry your worth within yourself that can't Mm. touch you
1: You can get past it. You can be like, oh, that's not a very nice thing to say. I'm always so clinical about it. I'm like, are you hungry? Have you eaten? Have you slept enough?
0: (laughs) You can look for the context. Like, sure, the the word might be hurtful, but you can recognize that there is something around it, right? Like, it's not, you're not fixating on the bit that's hurtful. You're fixating on the things that are around that thing.
1: Like Gansy and Blue Lily Lily Blue where he, you know, Blue is so angry with him at one point and he just says, when are you going to tell me what this is really about? Like, that's me all of the time mm. with my kids. Like, what is this really about? What's really happening? And it almost never has anything to do with me. Like, it's always something bigger or something that I can't actually fix, but not something that I'm responsible for, you know?
0: Yeah, and I often say that to people when I'm having. Because I I am an emotional person. Like, I do feel a lot of feelings. And even though I'm better at regulating my emotions and stuff now than I used to be, I still feel a lot. And sometimes I will say to people, like, you can see that I'm upset about something. I'll be like, I I know I'm having a crack at you, but it's actually not about you. And I will verbalize that. I'll be like, this is actually not about you. And I'm sorry that I'm just yelling at you, but it's not about you. (laughs) Like, I just need you to know it's not about you. I'm just getting it out.
1: This is my feeling. Ah, yeah. Yeah, for sure.
0: Which, yeah, it's a learned thing because, you know, I think about my dad who never learned that. And so he would often act out in ways and you would think it's about you. And that's a hard thing to grow up with. Yeah. I'm glad that I've learned that skill. Yeah,
1: I think there's something, so there's a bit of joy as well when you see other people, like peers. Family members doing things that you yourself kind of figured out how to do better, in, and mm. you just kind of be like, huh, okay, that's what that is. Someone's feeling a little bit sad today. Like yeah. I, I, enjoy knowing what other people are going through. Like I, I, don't want them to be hurting, obviously. But if someone has a crack at me or gets really snippy, I'm just like, what are the factors here? What's what's the context? What's actually happening? It's mm-hmm. kind of nice to just be able to sit back and put the like clinician hat on and be like, hmm, let's discuss this so yeah. I can understand where they're coming from. Yeah, everybody should have therapy. Agreed. Oh, well, did you have any other
0: marginalia for, well, any any other at all? No, I think I've said everything that I wanted to say. How about you?
1: Yeah, I love that you called out that line, how many times can our emotions be tied to someone else's? I really loved that line, so mm. that was what I wanted to point out to, so I'm glad you mentioned it. Um and I also love that Meredith is just like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard, Anna. You guys are in love. <laughs> just do something about it. Like, we've all been sitting here for the entire year watching you flirt. Please, for the love of God, just date already. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, like three cheers for Mare, just telling it how it is. Yeah. But I think that was it for me.
0: Did you have an in-depth much, an idea?
1: Oh, I definitely do. I think we might have chosen similar in-depth too, which I love. Okay, so I chose page 331, the translator. No matter how true he thinks he's saying the text still brings his own life experiences and opinions to every decision he makes. Mm. And the context is Rashmi is trying to get Anna to stop being so self-involved and realize that nuance like exists. Um, Their teacher and Rashmi are having this conversation about the art of translation, which is frankly an amazing and fascinating field. And I wish that I had a brain for languages because I would have loved to do that. Like that's something that I would love to do. Anna is being struck by the mallet of obvious truths. And I think the way that the themes tie in is like she's really she's so hurt she's really digging into her hurt here kind of like when you're a kid and you're like psyching yourself up into getting upset and i see this with my daughter where she'll be like Oh, the last donut! I didn't get to eat it, and now I'll never have any donuts again. And she like works herself up, and I'm just sitting here like, I will honestly order donuts this weekend again. We will. This is not an issue. We don't have to cry about it. We're gonna lose half an hour because I'm just <laughs> gonna cry, and then I'm gonna stop everything and comfort her, and then like we're gonna be so late. like, it's a whole cascading thing. And Anna does this. She does it. She really digs in. So I think that her youth there is like really at the forefront mm. but rashmi's already been through this like she's experienced this losing ellie and she's come out the other side and been able to sort of heal from that and like recognize that even if you do lose a good friend you still have the friends that you already have too mm-hmm. um so i like that she's kind of like trying to say hey there's nuance here so she's giving anna an opportunity to examine it from another angle and like luckily anna figures it out the link to the other text i've really been thinking a lot about this ananias nice nin quote which may be misattributed but we don't see things as they are we see things as we are which is like a really concise way of the whole point of this translation discussion my favorite uni class was theories of subjectivity that's what made me fall in love with literary analysis and cultural studies and like philosophy I mean I read Foucault for fun for like years after my uni degree just because I like love the concept so much and like mm. Foucault's really an approachable place to start I think so like I really love subjective experience as a field of study and I kind of like that it's like been a known but unarticulated truth to me so before i had the words for it i kind of knew that i felt things and i remembered them differently and i always felt really guilty and ashamed about that but like now i'm like oh no that's just how i'm experiencing it and it doesn't mean it's any less true or real it's just how i see it because i see things as i am hmm. um so the thing i want to take away from this is like i want to remember especially when i'm maybe feeling a little bit like down on myself or just in a bit of a blue space that what i experience is not what other people experience. So I got to be generous with myself, too, because I think like you, I tend to take it on more than I actually need to. And I need to remind myself that when my friends need me more or pull back more, it's not a commentary on me. It's just Mm. what they're doing. And the same is true in reverse. Like sometimes I reach out more and sometimes I pull back more and it doesn't mean I don't love them any less. It's just where I'm at. So Mm. but I I do think also that I got to remind myself to talk about it, because if we don't ever put it down on paper or say it, then we can't actually translate it. So in order for there to be a translation, we have to have a work to begin with.
0: Oh, I love that interpretation. I think that is important. I think there's a lot of feeling things and then stopping and actually interpreting it. I love the translation that happens even internally when you go from think from emotion to thinking because that is a translation we do in ourselves. You can feel something and you might process it one way, but that's not actually what you're feeling at all. Like you're translating it wrong. So yeah. like taking that pause and going, what am I actually feeling? And what does this actually mean? And I've attributed this meaning... Yeah. From an external source, but that's not actually what is happening. That's me. So I <laughs> yeah. I love that. I think that's great. And I love, you know, I love Foucault. I love a bit of postmodernism.
1: Love, I think you love Foucault more than I do, which the main thing I remember is a little bit of Derrida and a lot of Foucault.
0: Yeah, I could never get into Derrida. I found that quite inaccessible. But Foucault, I love postmodernism because anything can mean anything. Like, that's basically it. Yes. Nothing <laughs> means anything. You just make it up. I'm like, this yes. is ideal. <laughs>
1: Yeah, exactly. It's really open to interpretation and it does allow for the nuance of your own experience, which I found so refreshing.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and also acknowledges the fact that sometimes things have meaning because as a society we've decided it has meaning and that's the only thing. That's all that keeps us clinging together is the idea that a group of people have decided that it means something.
1: Have you ever thought about the way language is literally like a bunch of made-up sounds and that we as a group of people get together and sort of collectively decide that they roughly mean this thing?
0: Yeah, and that it's always evolving and we can't up with new things like yeet
1: (laughs) what I love the word yeet it's such a great
0: I use it all the time I all the time at work I'm often like I'm gonna yeet myself in the bin (laughs) like I'm yeeting myself (laughs) in the parlor. and then like people like it's not cool anymore I'm like I'm not saying it because it's cool I'm saying it because it's part of my language
1: one of my favorite phrases is let's motor when my kids become teenagers I'm sure they're gonna be I strain from rolling their eyes so much. <laughs> I'm, I'm living for it. I love embarrassing the youths. Cute. Um, did you have in-depth marginalia?
0: I do, and you're right. It's from the same section. So mine is on the previous Ooh. page, page 330. And it is, so what you're saying, Professor Cole says, is that the translator has a lot of decisions to make, that there are multiple meanings to be found in any word, in any sentence, in any situation. So context is the same, you know, Anna has just reconciled with Rashmi, and now Rashmi is like glaring at as she answers these questions, Mm -hmm. willing her to absorb this information with neon signs. (laughs) So great. (laughs) And you know, I've said it before, but the act of translation, I think, is an opportunity for deeper meaning. You're in conversation with the text, but you're also in the conversation with yourself. Everyone is coming at things from different angles, from their own context, and we're all just trying to find common understanding somewhere in the middle, which is something I think maybe you only appreciate as you get older. So Anna being too self-focused and too, you know, wrapped up in her own drama is definitely a sign of her youth, I think. Like, she hasn't learned that yet. She's starting to now. In this section, we're starting to see a little bit more of it, but... I think you're right that it's something that Rashmi has learned because she had to with the Ellie thing. She had to sit in that uncomfortable space where she's like, is it something I did? What is going on? Blah, blah, blah. And I think it reminds me of my own life because like, honestly, just every time I think I've got things figured out, I learn more things. I just never seem to stop learning things. It's very annoying. (laughs) Like I've been struck so often recently just having conversations with friends and realizing the interpretation that I had of the way they were talking or behaving or whatever. It's just one angle of a bigger picture. And I don't have access Mm. to that big picture, but more importantly, I'm not entitled to access to the big picture. I don't Mm. need to see the big picture in order to be a good friend or a supportive friend or just like a nice person. This idea that everyone should tell you everything about themselves in order for you to like be in their lives is actually just not that helpful. If you only see a slither, that's enough. You can still do enough with that. You just need to be conscious of what's going on. So I think one yeah. of the most valuable skills I've learned as I've got older is just the emotional maturity to not immediately say what I'm thinking. So, you know, I just pause and sit and think about something. And sometimes in the time it takes you to sit you start to see a bit more about things that are going on that you didn't know before, which changes your orish- original thought. And if you had actually said what you were originally thinking, which you thought was fine in the t- moment, it would actually be completely unhelpful and sometimes just very hurtful. So you just need to like, yeah. not say the first thing that comes into your mind. Just wait, think, and accept that people have a lot of things going on at all times and you may not know. You know, People are vast, they contain multitudes, etc, etc. So going forward, I think every interaction is an opportunity to learn and grow, and that's something I've mm-hmm. definitely learned from you. I think that's something you're really good at. You approach everything as a oh, learning opportunity, thanks. which is great, and it's something I want to keep reminding myself of. I don't have to be set in my ways or my ideas. I want to always embrace nuance, and I have to remember that people are complicated, even people I don't like. People are not two-dimensional cartoon villains. There are shades of grey in everything, and it's important to remember that.
1: Yes, absolutely. Absolutely even the most annoying people but what what do you call the the man man office man random office man miscellaneous office men miscellaneous office men even they are complex nuanced creatures who are products of their environment and also live deep and meaningful inner lives <laughs> even when they're just being annoying
0: honestly there's one i don't particularly like and we had a morning tea on friday he happens to be maori he happens to be the only maori man on our floor so they were like oh can you do a karakia at him just randomly in this thing i'm like this is so offensive. You as a manager in a yeah. position of power should know how to do a karakia yourself. If you want to like embrace the cultural tradition and do all these things, and you value that, you should know how to do it. You should then not single out the only Māori person on the floor and make them do it. And he was like actually not that into it, because he has complained about it previously, about how it's very tokenistic for them to just like try yeah. him out. And they put him on a spot like that, and when he was a bit like, huh. They were very weird about it. I'm like, there's no way. These white people do not think there's anything wrong with what they're doing here, but it's actually just messed up. And I'm like, look at me having a generous thought about someone I don't particularly like.
1: (laughs) But like, we don't have to like people just because they're not the same as us. People could rub you the wrong way and be all sorts of different to you. And you can still be like, I will approach you with like sensitivity and generosity and also you're a moron and I don't want to talk to you for longer than five minutes. That's completely valid. There are lots of people who on paper look like they would be amazing for me and I just can't talk to them.
0: Yeah. The vibes are off. The vibes are off.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You have to vibe with people. I will also say that you probably understand that from the, not the race perspective, but like the being a visibly female presenting person, right? So you're the one who gets asked to take notes and the one who's expected to bring snacks. Yeah. You're the tea lady. Whether or not you actually are the tea lady like that's it's just a similar thing like oh we'll get the one guy who is part of that culture to do this cultural thing or we'll get that girl to take notes like it's just it's just a dumb hangover
0: Ah uh, yeah and i feel like if you're gonna do it at least ask prior to the event don't just like throw it in as like a, a i don't know it was just gross i don't like it it just feels tokenistic and it doesn't feel like it comes from a genuine place of actually appreciating the culture so uh colonization yeah. so much fun absolutely Did you have a character you wanted to spotlight? Yeah, so I want to spotlight Rashmi
1: this week. She gives really good advice and Anna's finally realizing that, which is like chef's kiss. Mm. I also think that it's really important that Anna realizes that Rashmi has been through it. She has been left by Ellie. She's struggling with Josh, like she's friends with meredith and she's got the inside intel that like meredith misses you you know like you you actually do need to talk to st Clair. i think he wants to talk to you she's giving anna courage to do the hard things which anna really struggles with so i'm just i'm really proud of rashmi for kind of like setting aside that like oh my gosh this child is being so annoying Mm. which is how i would feel and being more generous and kind and just yeah it's just a real act of grace and love that she gives so like Four for you Rashmi Well Hmm.
0: done How about you? Who do you want to spotlight this week? I'm going to spotlight Meredith Because I think The way she talks herself down from her hurt Is amazing So She does a really good job Of just being Really good at emotionally regulating She's good at Like talking to Anna I think she sets a really good example For Anna That actually you know Even when you're hurt Even when these things have happened It's not necessarily always about you Like there are other factors at play And you can be at fault too It's not just things that happen to you And that doesn't lessen your hurt but it's good to acknowledge these things so i just want to give meredith a big shout out for being really emotionally mature she's amazing
1: she is amazing i love that and it got anna to finally lighten up and realize that like she needed to maybe talk to bridget again right i
0: know so good
1: I did have my last spicy hot take was I hope Bridget doesn't forgive you I hope she has 10 babies with Toph and they're happy together and they go on tour and they do terrible shows for their whole life and they never think of you again
0: yeah (laughs) it's real mad
1: I love that you spot Meredith she was it was a real close it was really close between her and Rashmi yeah I think
0: that's good they deserve it they do the most
1: yeah they do all the heavy lifting Josh just draws and listens to Sinclair rabbit on about whatever he rabbits on about so yeah next week we'll be reading chapters 43 through 47 through the theme of satisfaction and we're going to be wrapping up the book
0: already the end of season seven. Oh my goodness and that means we'll be reading the dream thieves for season a I can't wait
1: I'm bringing it with me when I come to visit you and it's going to be amazing
0: it is going to be amazing I'm looking forward to it
1: well, thank you so much, Jen. I'm so glad we got to catch up and talk about this. And I'm glad that my spicy hot takes were not super spicy after all.
0: No, I think they Absolutely. were very well thought out and well-deserved, quite frankly. So yeah, look <laughs> forward. to
1: temperature takes.
0: <laughs> I know. And let's get it all out for next week, definitely.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. I'm really excited for next week. Having gone through it, having read through it so closely, I'm really excited to see
0: how it ends up. Yeah, same. All right.
1: We'll see you next week.
0: See ya! Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us today. Marginali Pod is written, edited and produced by Jen D and Jen V with additional editing and production support by Simon B. If you enjoyed our chat, you can subscribe to Marginali Pod on your podcast platform of your choice. Your support means the world to us. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at hello at Our music is by Scott Buckley. For extended show notes or to find out more about us, visit us at www.marginaliapod.com.